And you're listening. And you're listening. You're listening to Salmon. 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 To Salmon Fest. Well, hello and welcome to Salmon Fest Radio. My name's Dave Applin. And I'm Satchel Pondolfino. We're here recording from the beautiful Homer, Alaska, ancestral lands of the Denina and Supiak people that have been stewarded for time and memoriam by the Ninilchik village tribe. We'd like to honor and thank these people and move forward working together to take care of the home we now share. Satchel, what do we got on tap today? I'm always behind the eight ball here. Yeah, well, today we have a band that we've teased before in a previous Salmon Fest radio episode. They are Kufnats and Christine Elise. They're a unique duo that has graced the stages of Alaska and Salmon Fest in the past and played us their harmonic beats of the hip-hop and harp. Yeah, I'm all about that. Why are Heather and Tiss our Salmon champions this week? Well, I'm glad you asked, Satchel. Tiss and Heather are from southeast Alaska. Their lives are deeply connected, both culturally and economically, to salmon. And they're dealing with an issue that's not getting a lot of uh, attention in Alaska and beyond. And that is the uh, huge number of mining claims in British Columbia that are on watersheds that flow through southeast Alaska. So those watersheds are at risk of all of the hazards associated with mining, none of the benefits, and not a lot of input into what's happening. So Tiss and Heather have been involved with many people in the area on both sides of the border, indigenous and non-native, to try and protect Alaska's salmon-bearing streams in southeast that are threatened by these mining claims. We're going to go right into our interview with Hoofnots and Christine Elise. Um, I'm Christine Elise, and I originally am from Neptune, New Jersey, but I now live in Philadelphia. I'm Kufnats. I'm from Philadelphia and reside in Philadelphia. And can you tell me about your music? Um, our music is... Uh, a mix of soul, hip-hop, um, some classical, being as though she plays the harp, and um, really just, that's the music part, and uh, the lyric part is just uh, just positive lyrics. Yeah. How long have you guys been playing together? Uh, a little over a year. Yeah. yeah, a little over a year. Cool. Um, yeah. What brought you together? Um, I'm a music therapist. And I watched one of the shows that Koof was playing a fundraiser for. And I thought, wow, that message is so empowering. If I ever was a performer, that is something I would want to be involved in. And I never met him. I never went up to him after. And then randomly, three months later, I saw him in Whole Foods, (laughs) natural food store. (laughs) And I said, wow, you're amazing. If you ever need a harpist, Uh, give me a call and he was like what a harp and he sent me tracks and um, worked improvised on his music and we made an album in like a month that's amazing (laughs) do you guys have any shared values or things that you believe that keeps you together as musicians and 
maybe friends or whatever. We have a lot of the same values, which makes um, writing music pretty easy. Um, we believe that we are vessels of putting out positive music for those who just heal and use how they wish. Um, so just motivation and keeping ourselves going and spreading it to the world and however that could be helpful to each individual that hears it. So. Is there any particular message that you find that you send more frequently than others? Um, I, I think the if there was one it would be uh, forward motion, uh, continuous motion like keeping their nurture going like always moving forward no matter what it is like even like if it's a, a bad situation or even a good situation you still have to move forward because nothing lasts forever and then trust that that next situation will be even better than that you know so forward motion Dave can we interrupt the interview and just hear how they incorporate that idea of forward motion into their music why not let's go there now so we all experience this life in different ways. We take different paths and the journey we experience is different. There are a few things we share and two of those are the ups and downs, the ebbs and flow of life. Our belief is that forward motion is the most important thing. So whatever you encounter, as long as you keep that forward motion and moving forward, you'll be all right. This is forward motion. Forward is the motion. The chaos.
to the interview. You're both from different places. Can you tell me a little bit about what makes you feel connected to your home? Um, okay, so Philadelphia. Um, I think the thing that makes me feel most connected is, is the music there. Um, I got my start in Philadelphia and really like, like cut my teeth in Philadelphia. Uh, I moved from Philadelphia I lived in New York for a little bit in Europe, um, but but the roots have always been planted in Philly because I think that's where I got my start and that's where I really uh, uh, learned songwriting, performing, everything there. So whenever I'm back there, it feels it feels like home. And keep, that's what keeps me connected there. Um, I grew up by the beach, so I would say what keeps me connected to my home is that the the ocean breeze <laughs> and sometimes just needing to go back there just to feel that breeze and 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 smell the salt water <laughs> yeah cool that ties in a lot of i think what we've been thinking about here um and what salmon fest is about about feeling connected through people and shared art and then the location right the like the breeze the sense of space. Um, are there, have you guys noticed where you're from any major environmental changes happening? Well, landscape, like just, well, I think uh, Philadelphia and, and most big cities, um, the landscape has changed a lot. Um, I'm sure environmental is, is, is mixed in with that, but just with like, um, a certain way of, I guess, gentrifying different cities. Um, you like from 2015 till now. Like, if you didn't, if you were in Philadelphia in 2015 and hadn't been back and came now, you wouldn't even recognize it. Um, it's 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 changed uh, pretty pretty tremendously. Um, I don't know about Jersey, how that is. I think I think where she's from, it it happened too, but in a different way. It was gentrified in a different way. Um, in in Philadelphia, everyone who can't afford to stay there is just getting pushed out. 
Whereas though in Asbury Park, they the people that came in came in and worked with the people already in the community and made them feel like they were a part of it. So it happened in a different way. Um, you know more about it that way. I mean, and that's essentially the core. And I just feel like since that, the music scene has continued to be the heart of that in Asbury Park. And really the arts and the culture have um, brought Asbury back alive and as a community, you know, um, and that, that's a beautiful piece. Um, it definitely sounds like you incorporate a lot of message with your music, right? And, and that's, in my mind, still activism, you know, whatever the, your message is. So would you, would you consider yourselves activists? <laughs> Lyrical activists. <laughs> nah, but yeah, for sure, cool. for sure, definitely. Vibrational activists. Oh, <laughs> it's funny because he um, is really good with words, you know, and I am really good, I feel like, with feeling sounds and, and being a music therapist and like using sound healing, like conveying messages through sound is much easier for me. <laughs> and he is very, well, you know, to convey words. So. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> cool. This is your second time in Alaska, right? So what has brought you to Alaska? Uh, originally we came for a uh, an event called Parlor in the Rounds. Uh, so since we were coming here, we're like, uh, if we're going to Alaska, like we're going to do Alaska. So we built a tour around it and um, yeah, and we did that and we, we met a few people, one being the person who, who runs this. And they enjoyed the show and invited us back. So we're like, what? Yeah, let's go back. So the first time was in the like dead winter, like super cold, super dark. Um, and this is the opposite. So it's, it's cool to see both. We, we enjoyed the winter, like, because we were experiencing Alaska. Like, so that was cool. Yep. You being in Alaska, is there anything that has stood out to you just about Alaska as a whole, whether that be people or landscape or combination? Well, how kind everyone yes. is. I don't know if it's just because we're visiting or if it's like that all the time, but everyone's super, super kind, super open and just welcoming. It feels good. Everywhere you go isn't like that. Yeah. It's definitely For not. Sure. <laughs> I think people willing to go with the flow, but really support you in that, you know, um, yeah. And, like yeah. <laughs> and it's really cool that we built like roots in the community in the winter and we're seeing a lot of those people now just really still being there and being supportive and um, that's just magical like that's that's amazing <laughs> uh, do either of you fish I, I did when I was young father loved fishing and we would go deep sea fishing um, and I loved it uh, yeah I like fishing I haven't been fishing in years since my father passed away um, so I haven't been fishing since but when I did I loved it yeah sure. I don't fish but I love to swim amongst the fish I'm a Pisces so close enough love it Cool. Um, have you guys tried much salmon since being up here? 
Um, I haven't yet, but the salmon is amazing, so I definitely <laughs> will indulge before I leave. <laughs> and I haven't eaten meat in like 12 years, so. But I'll vicariously live through her while she eats it. <laughs>
some of they cause jewels and wealth. The best love we found was love for self. If y'all feeling good and rocking with us, when I say self, you say love. Self, 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 Or get loose back there and get free. Make some noise, y'all.
Let's migrate over to that interview with our Salmon Champions right now. You'll hear Tiss and Heather bounce back and forth throughout the interview, and you'll hear right away that both these fishermen's daughters are deeply connected to the place, Southeast Alaska. My name's Tiss Peterman. I work for the Southeast Alaska Indigenous Transboundary Commission as Special Projects Consultant. I live in Wrangell, Alaska at the mouth of the Stikine River, and I am Tall Tan and Clinket. I'm Heather Hardcastle. I was born and raised in Lincoln on Nee near Juneau and at the mouth of the Taku River. And I now currently split my time between the Taku River region and also Sonoma County, California, and the ancestral lands of the Pomo people. And I also am honored to work as the special advisor to the Salmon Beyond Borders campaign. My earliest childhood memory is of salmon, and this is when I was four. My grandpa and my dad would take my brother and I over to Limestone Inlet, and we would just drift in the skiff and watch the spawning salmon and be able to touch their backs. And so my memory is also of an Evinrude uh, two-stroke motor that was really loud and super stinky. I grew up the daughter of a fisherman. And he actually trolled, he gill netted, and in the later years in life, he sang. So we were around fish from a very young age. I mean, we were in a family of eight. So uh, we ate a lot of fish. I mean, a lot of fish, and it's still one of my favorite, favorite foods. My dad used to sell salmon or trade salmon with um, the Japanese log ships that came over. So he would bring salmon to them, and we would get a 50-pound bag of rice and a gallon jug of soy sauce, and that would help us get through the winter. And he used to can fish, smoke fish. Um, I just loved hanging out with him by the smokehouse. And he'd feed me chunks of fish right out of the smokehouse, and that was one of my first memories of fish. My parents had moved to uh, Juneau, in their Volkswagen van. They, they strapped their snowshoes to the back of that van and drove from Michigan to Juneau and, and never left. You know, their plan was to stay for a school year and work as teachers, have an adventure, and then leave. And they're still there, you know, 52, 53 years later. My dad started to work as a deckhand with trollers. And then he bought his first gillnet vessel, my parents did, when I was eight. And uh, so going out commercial fishing with my family until, until I graduated from high school, um, our lives quickly revolved around wild salmon. <laughs> it was everything, and specifically salmon from the Taku River. And those are my warmest, most vibrant memories of childhood, our commercial fishing on uh, the fishing vessel Heather Ann with my mom and my dad, my brother, and our dog Bingo, our poodle with dreadlocks. And um, I went to graduate school out east, studied marine conservation biology, thought that I would work in San Francisco or Washington, D.C. in marine policy, but I realized I was a fisherman's daughter through and through, and I moved back to Juneau, and my family and I formed Taku River Reds, which is um, direct-to-market seafood company. You know, the rivers of southeast Alaska that Tiss and Heather grew up fishing are shared by communities up and down their watersheds, and they hold a long history of local movement and migration 
and cooperation to steward the salmon runs on which um, so many people depended on. But with the creation of the international border, the management of those systems shifted to the purview of the state, to the provinces, and to national governments. And that opportunity for local collaboration has declined. That said, Tis still remembers from her youth that movement and the uh, intersection of tribes and people moving up and down that system. Well, when I was very young, one of my first memories was a group of gentlemen coming down river from the Tall Pan. And they'd come down river either to work the fisheries or work other jobs for the winter. They wouldn't stay very long, but I just remember that our house was filled with music and gu guitars when these guys came down. And uh, since that time, I've known this story my whole life, was my great-grandma Susie came down the river and an arranged marriage to my great-grandfather, Chief Shakes VII, Charlie Jones. And we never knew her name, and she was only 14. And she di died before I was born, so I didn't really get to her story. And um, we never made connections upriver until we worked on When the Salmon Spoke project. And uh, I ran into Alan Edzurza on one of our conferences in BC, and I, Heather introduced me to him, as a matter of fact. And I went and um, went up to him and told him my story because he was born in Telegraph or up and around that area. And he turned around and pointed at me and he said, Quack. Her name was Quack. And the arranged marriage was made to quell the fighting on the river because normally the Clinket and the Tall Tan from both sides of the border would arrange how that watershed would be managed. But since that time, Heather and I have had opportunity to interview all sorts of people on the BC side, and we want to do more. When the Salmon Spoke was a storytelling project that Heather and Tiss collaborated on to reconnect tribes up and down the river of Southeast Alaska and British Columbia, who now share the common threat of open pit mines in their watersheds. So in 2014, uh, both the precursors to what are now the Salmon Beyond Borders Campaign and Southeast Alaska Indigenous Transboundary Commission formed because those of us in Southeast Alaska became aware for the first time of these mega mining projects in some phase of development coming online upstream on the Canada side of the U.S.-Canada border. And the Taku, the Stikin, and the Eunuch rivers, um, especially those three big rivers that flow from British Columbia into southeast Alaska, are the hot spots for this modern-day gold rush in British Columbia. We're talking at least two dozen mines that are actively being invested in, financed, or operating in these watersheds. And currently, they're being assessed and permitted and operated without the meaningful involvement of any of us downstream, despite the fact that we share these iconic rivers. These mines that are in some phase of development on the Canada side are largely copper gold mines that entail large open pits, immense waste rock piles, 
and tailings facilities or waste dams that are taller than the Space Needle in Seattle that have to hold back this slurry of acid generating waste forever. These are some of the largest mines in North America. Recently, the Canadian government greenlighted the Kerr Sulfuret Mitchell or KSM mine at the head of the Eunuch watershed. KSM um, would be the largest gold and copper mine in North America uh, in terms of the amount of water that's involved in this proposed mining project. It's larger than Pebble. So that's what we're dealing with, is multiple projects. They're colossal in size, mostly open pit. They entail these big waste dams. So our worry is mostly that acid generating waste coming downstream. And already, even if it doesn't come into US waters, it's already gonna be impacting wild salmon habitat on the Canada side of these transboundary rivers. We had requested that downstream communities in Alaska be considered in any assessment of these proposed mines or the mines that are already up there, and uh, we're told no. But when we made personal visits across the border to visit First Nations, without one exception, we were told they felt sort of like they were outvoted, and they they were very concerned with the mines as well. And so that's basically what we're trying to um, give voice to are the First Nations voices that are just as concerned as the downstream communities, whether they be indigenous or not. Once you look at all the science and oh, the aerial photos and the magnitude of these mines going in, you can't look away. You can't stop thinking about it because you're looking at a perfect world in this beautiful sunshiny day and and how pristine it is. And yet a lot of people on our side of the border as well don't know what these ticking time bombs are, are doing up in the watershed. Heather and Tiss recognized that indigenous communities above and below the Canadian border weren't being heard. So they set out to help these communities link arms and empower their collective voices. So 2018, I'm working with Salmon Beyond Borders, and I attended a really powerful performance in Juneau called Anyaku Sani, or Noble People of the Land. It was a project written by Frank Katas, who's Clinkett, and uh, Ryan Conero, who at the time worked for Ping Chong and Company, a New York-based theater group. And they interviewed several Clinkett Haida Simpson citizens from the Juneau area. And then from that group of interviewees, uh, five ultimately performed on stage. They performed their own stories. And I sent a copy of that production to Tiss. And I said, how about trying to do a similar sort of story sharing, story collection of those on these transboundary rivers that originate in Taltan and Taka River Clinket and Nishka territories and flow into Clinket territory. We spent a couple of years fundraising and relationship building. In 2019, we visited 
got Gitsan territory, Wet'suwet'en territory, Nishka territory, Taltan territory, what's now also known as British Columbia, and interviewed about 25 to 30 individuals. And When the Salmon Spoke is the first artistic project to come out of the storytelling effort. And with COVID upon us, of course, in 2020, what was envisioned initially to be a live theatrical performance became a digital production, but certainly still so powerful. And it has led then to these friendships and desire to continue working together. And so Salmon Speakers, as an Indigenous-led initiative, has come out of When the Salmon Spoke. So those of us involved with When the Salmon Spoke were continuing forward to do more story collection and more reconnection of bloodlines. By reconnecting people up and downstream and elevating stories that remind people of the history of shared stewardship in the region, Salmon Beyond Borders and Southeast Alaska Indigenous Transboundary Commission are supporting Native voices in asserting themselves in the management of these shared watersheds. Salmon Beyond Borders, when we coalesced as a campaign in 2014, our goal then is the same as it is now, which is to defend and sustain these currently very productive, intact systems that feed multiple communities on both sides of the border. We've wrestled with what that end goal looks like. We have had most of Southeast Alaska and 15 of the 19 federally recognized tribes in Southeast Alaska, the Alaska Congressional Delegation, um, thousands of individual Alaskans and Americans on our side pushing for Presidents Obama and President Trump and now President Biden to actually push for an international solution that is a framework for these watersheds, some kind of a governance framework so that all jurisdictions are all at the table because currently we have no table. <laughs> I mean, not only do we not have meaningful involvement in Alaska as citizens for what goes on on shared rivers on the other side of the border, but there isn't any kind of a structure to it. And I think that's where we really invite listeners to join us in this journey because it's really about awareness raising. And then it's also about getting at our values. You know, what do we really want to see in these shared landscapes and shared rivers seven generations from now? And how do we get there? And if we want that collective vision uh, mapped out, how do we see it through? And so we need everybody weighing on President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken to continue to push with their Canadian colleagues and especially Prime Minister Trudeau to empower and give capacity to communities, tribes, First Nations in this region to do that visioning together. This region is a place to ensure, again, that communities and First Nations can come together return to these systems that were in place since time immemorial for managing these watersheds. And there's a website we can, we can give listeners 
to join the salmon speakers on this journey. And by joining us, the salmon speakers, you're also joining this network of many, many organizations working toward a, a shared vision and governance framework for these shared rivers. I would love to have this, the time of my youth reflect what is going to be in the future hmm. to where we weren't worried about ruining the land around us, land and water. I would love to have that vision and right now it doesn't look very rosy but that's what keeps me going. That that really is. It's like Lincoln Bean, he's one of our elders. He said if not us, who? And if not now, when? To protect those seven generations out. I really liked this interview. I mean, obviously for uplifting this transboundary mining issue that I don't think a lot of Alaskans really know about. I think it gets overshadowed by the Pebble story and they're both really important. So I appreciate that about this story. But the other thing I appreciate about this story is the idea that salmon stories are a tool for connecting a community and a movement. And, um, it made me excited because at Salmon Fest, you know, we have musicians and we have uh, organizations and activists and people that get on stage and talk about tactical things our salmon, commu salmon community can do to protect this culture. But we don't have this, we don't have storytellers embedded into our Salmon Fest lineup. And I think that that would just be such a cool way to continue to infuse salmon fest with actual salmon culture and stories that salmon communities across Alaska can relate to and share. And it could be a tool at the festival to continue to strengthen this tribe of salmon lovers and salmon protectors and warriors in Alaska. And I'd love to see and hear some of these salmon speakers on stage at Salmon Fest. And I actually have a, a hand in organizing who can get on stage and talk at Salmon Fest. So that, that particularly made me excited because I think I could actually implement that if I wanted to. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to keep that in my pocket and hopefully there'll be an opportunity to do that in the future. A big thank you to Tiss and Heather for joining us today and sharing this really important story with the Salmon Fest radio audience. Why don't we migrate over to our Jammin' for Salmon segment. Back to Salmon Fest. Who's ready? Who's ready for some local love? Give it up! Are you hungry, Alaska? Good, because we're hungry. Let's get this thing going. Sweet boys calling 
On the hill, I sampled the songs. Jill was the best that definitely becomes me. Oh, him was a light and blue was a pepper tree. I don't hold no time, she knows what's best for me. And then she's wrong.
The last song to carry us out is Horseshoes and Hand Grenades.
Down the list, we've got Pastor Tim and Brian Vallee, our musical recorder volunteers at Salmon Fest 2019. Thank you so much. Yep, and KBBI here in Homer for uh, technical assistance and for the use of this awesome equipment. Thank you to Koofnots and Christina Lease and Kyla Damon for interviewing them at Salmon Fest 2019. And thanks to our Salmon Champions, Tis Peterman and Heather Hardcastle. Thanks to the Salmon Fest team for putting on the event that makes this all possible. And of course, Kira Hardy, our indubitable producer who helps put this thing together. And thanks to Cook and the Keeper, who have spawned this project and continue to support our efforts to share the love about salmon around the state and beyond. So until we talk to you next time, spawn, spawn on, on, Alaska. Alaska. <laughs> this is Koof Knotts and... Christina Lees. And you're listening to Salmon Fest Radio. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> cool.